Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On the Sporting Couch with Gary Bloom. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a programme about good mental health in sport. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist, and that means I work with all sorts of people, but often sportsmen and women who are struggling or have struggled in their day-to-day lives with issues like depression, anxiety, addictive behaviours, performance issues and end-of-career problems. I'm doing this project to widen the understanding of mental health issues in sport and beyond and give a taste of what goes on between therapist, me, and the person who today is on the sporting couch. Meet Chris Kirkland, who played more than 300 league and cup games in a career that spanned from 1998 to 2016. He was capped by England in 2006. Most of his appearances came for Sheffield Wednesday and Wigan, but he had spells with Coventry, Liverpool, West Bromwich Albion, Leicester, Doncaster, Preston North End and Bury. But two years ago, he came clean about his depression and anxiety, which started to affect him in 2012, after he left Wigan Athletic. In June 2016, he said he couldn't continue playing professionally and hung up his gloves, retiring at the age of 35. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch with me, Gary Bloom, and goalkeeper Chris Kirkland, whose career has been hugely affected by mental health issues and is now rebuilding his life and says one day he'd like to be a counsellor helping other players. When you talk to football managers and uh, coaches, they always say, you know what? Goalkeepers are always just a little bit different. Mm. They're, they're just idiosyncratic. They're not the same as the outfield players. Do you think that's true? No, definitely not, no. That's because most coaches, outfielders, don't like goalkeepers for whatever reason because they don't, it's probably the, the toughest position. Do you think in terms of characters, though? Goalkeepers? I think you have to... It differs. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself. I, I think I'm quite a calm, calm person. But, yeah, there is some. there has been, if you go back to Bruce... At Liverpool, with Bruce so, yeah, some of his antics and stuff. He, you could that you could say he was uh, the other side of that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just all dependent. I think it's just a thing that's got said over the years, and it's stuck with goalkeepers that they've all got to be barmy to to dive at people's feet and that. But I'm, I don't buy into that. Do you think goalkeepers play into that? Some probably do. Yeah, some some probably do, and it probably helps them as well. Probably makes them play better. Um, but as I said, I was always I think I was always quite quite calm. So when did you? When was it in your younger days that you thought eh, I'm quite good at this? 
wasn't till probably 50, probably, in fact, it probably when I signed for, because even when I signed for schoolboys at Coventry, when I got spotted late when I was 15, 15 and a half, um, signed schoolboys at Coventry, even that first year I was, I was behind the other goalkeeper. What did you need to improve on? Everything. Uh, but needed to. But the one thing I've always had is I've always worked hard. So I've always outworked anyone I've worked with, uh, and that's. And then some. It just clicked. I don't know what it was. It was when I was at Coventry. Some. It just clicked, and all of a sudden I was I was getting talked about, and I was training with the first team, and and it just went. It just went from there. And at that stage, what was the best part of your game, and what was the worst part of your game? Uh, probably commanding the area, because um, I was I was tall and stuff. Uh, that was the best part. I think so at the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I've. I've so I've always been told I've always been good at you know the shot saving as as, you, as goalkeeper should be, you know that's that should be the standard part of it. But yeah, I always used to try and dominate my area, and that's what they used to talk about the most when I was younger. And the worst bit of your game? I was okay with the ball at my feet, I think. But now nowadays it's different now the way it is for a goalkeeper now. Uh, worst worst pass, I probably beat myself up too much. Probably wasn't as confident as I should have been. What could you have done in retrospect, looking back? To improve that, well, I think the the injuries have had a big effect. Mm-hmm. Injuries had a, a huge effect, um, especially when I was at Liverpool. The when I did get a run in the team, I'd get a serious injury. Uh, then I'd fight my way back into the team, another serious injury, and it, it was it was setback after setback. So I always it's hard not to think now, you know, what what could have been sort of thing if I wouldn't have had the injuries because I've always been a Liverpool fan. I used to travel up there as a kid. With my dad, uh, when I was seven, eight years old, standing standing the cop in them days, so that's that's difficult to difficult to sort of push away at the minute. Mm. I'm just I'm just curious about the Liverpool fan, yeah, playing for Liverpool because yeah. some people would argue it's the worst thing that a player can ever do is play for the club he supports. Well, I'm not sure about that. I um, as I said, I, I, we used to travel up from from Hinkley on the bus. It used to take five six hours. You know, when, when me mum and dad could afford it, so I used to stand in the cop and watch some great players. I mean, it was the only team I would have left Coventry for. Really? Yeah, it was the only team because I loved it at Coventry. I was playing, um, you know, Gordon Strachan was there, Jim Blythe was the goalie coach. Um, really, really attached to the club, but it was the only team I would have left for. And, it, and, and it, you know, it made me think twice before I actually did leave as well. So much has happened to you, Chris, in your career. Yeah. Where are you today in terms with it all, looking back? How would you describe where you are psychologically, mentally? Is this the best it's been for a long time? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I've done the stuff over the last probably well, it's probably been over the last year or so now, talking about it a lot more, uh, doing going to conferences, helping the PFA. Uh, but yeah, in a, in a in a much much better place now. Thankfully. What do you think um, you'd have said to the 16, 15 year old Chris Kirkland? If you were able to meet him today, Ooh. I think everyone asks themselves that, don't they? Could you? Somebody asked the question the other day: if, What was it? If, if somebody could give you fifty million pound, or you could go and relive your life again, knowing what you know now, I think that's a great question. I think I'd probably do the latter. I'd, I'd relive my life, knowing what I know now. Just what? to, well, you, as I said, when you you know you knowing the things now, knowing the things that. I shouldn't have done, not I shouldn't have done, or could have avoided, or mm. could have helped myself with certain situations. Obviously, with what's happened, um, then that could have hopefully, you know, maybe been avoided. I'm going to ask you the question again and be yeah. a bit difficult with you, Chris. Go on. It's what therapists do. Yeah. What would you say to the 15-year-old? Tell me the advice you would give to Talk him. Talk more. Talk more. Talk more. Yeah. Open up. Yeah. 
who should you have opened up to? Uh, my wife from the start, um, but you don't because you try and protect them. You know, you try and protect your my daughter. Um, I should have said something when I was at Sheffield Wednesday to the club uh, when I signed there in 2012. Uh, not at the start, but you know, after a certain amount of time, uh, maybe after the first year, should have talked to them and, and I should have rang the PFA. But I didn't know that 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 was there. That service was there. I find that extraordinary, mm-hmm. if you don't mind me saying so, because there is so much um, publicity. Now. PFA at, now. Yeah, that's the interesting word that we yeah. we put it now. It now. Yeah. Then? No. Why? What's going on? Because it was a it, well. It's like we've been saying. It, you know, it was a taboo subject. It was. Um, it, it, it wasn't seen to be talking about. Men don't talk about that sort of stuff. Um, over the years, it's wrong. You know, and we're proving that now that it's wrong. Uh, but it just wasn't something, and, and and probably because I didn't understand it, I, I didn't understand what was. Probably thought it was normal to feel that way, and, and and I've got to do something to try and not feel that way. But once you get in that rut, it, you know, you you you, you want to do one thing, but your body's doing the other thing. But you know as well as I do mm. that if you went to your boss and said, "Boss, um, I'm okay, but I'm really struggling with a few things around depression, anxiety." There is no way that any football manager would say, fine, you're still in the team for Saturday. You know you'd be out the, out that team and probably out the club within a few months. Yeah, back like, then? Back then. Well, so, yeah, you're probably right, but I'd never did it because for you whatever... Were, were you terrified of being dropped? No, wasn't, no, not at all. So where's the fear? Probably probably more embarrassment, more embarrassment to, to go and say that. Um because as I said, apart from the last two years, none of this has been out in the open. So, you know, nobody was going to talk. Nobody's talking about it. Whereas now, if a player, after seeing all this over the last year, thinks, you know what, I can, I can do that now. This is the right thing to do. You know, I'm listening to people come out saying talk, talk, talk. But t- two, three years ago, that wasn't there. So it's as recent as two and three years. Well, you I think, think so. You think there's been a gear change in the oh, game? Over the last year, there's been a massive gear change. Yeah, definitely. What do you think's caused that? People, you know, sports people. I suppose I, I don't like saying sports people because it's not just for sports people. It's for it's for everyone. You know, it's for everyone. It's not just for sports people. But we're in a, a environment, a position where if a sports person pe- speaks out, then it goes global. You know, it goes it goes uh, everywhere with you know social media and everything like that. So I think a lot of people that have come out and spoke, uh, the PFA are doing a lot more. You chaps are doing this. You know, she's going to be heard by how many people? Um, and there's a lot more going on now. Let's go right back then to the to the start of, of your life. Uh, um, your dad Eddie is a huge mm. fan of yours. Mm. Um, your mother Marie. Mm. Together they they try and guide you in in this burgeoning career as a goalkeeper. What was mm. it like growing up? Great, fine. I mean, my, my dad um, he had cancer. He had twenty four hours to live from cancer. So I didn't find this out until after. But he, he nearly died, and then he was given three weeks. But he pulled through. Um, you know, come to games, took me everywhere. Um, as my mum did, and it was just you know when I was a kid, and that's what you, that's what parents do, you know they, they take you everywhere. Somehow found money for gloves, boots, as, as they do. Um, I never asked them where they got it from, but yeah, I mean, as you know, they did they did everything for for all three of us. Happy childhood. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about obviously, you. obviously when my dad was going through that, a bit, but then when I was that age, I mean, what how was old that? were you? So I would have been 12, probably 12, 13. So did, you, did you know how ill he was? No. No, didn't know how ill he was, no. no. I remember going to see him in hospital once and I didn't recognise him. 
and and then I, I never went to see I never went back to the hospital to see him again. Were you frightened? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But again, even seeing him like that, I thought, oh, he'll pull through, you know, because your dad, he'll pull through and stuff like that. So, but not knowing how serious it, it actually was. And what sort of um, relationship did you have with your two sisters? One elder, one younger? Yeah, just normal, have bickering, normal, you know, fighting, stuff like that. Um, grass my older sister up for smoking a couple of times. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, but no, no, fine. We all, as I said, we were all, you know, they did the best with all three of us. Closer to mum or dad? Um, I think at the start, probably mum, mm. when I was much younger, because dad used to work a lot on cranes and be out all hours of the day and and uh, work shifts and stuff. But then obviously when, when the football started to kick in, yeah, closer to me dad. And your dad had quite um, a belief that you'd mm. make it because he put a bet on that you would play for England before the age you were 30. Yeah, he did. He put it on when I was 13. Um, what did you think when you realised you put such a, a, a? I didn't know until years and years after. Never knew. Never knew. Put it on. I mean, and, and at the time, as I said, I've said many times, if if I'd have, if I'd have gone into the bookies with him, then he'd have got a million to one because <laughs> I was I was yeah I wasn't in great shape back when I was a kid. I was a chubby kid, and I, I was I was even spotted at that age. You know, I was I was still umming and in between on pitch and in goal, and obviously he spotted something and and, and stuck with it. But yeah, I found out years after. Do you think it was to impress your dad, Chris, that you decided to become a professional footballer? Uh, no, no. I just think it's um, it's a it's a it's a dad son thing, isn't it? More than anything, I just think it's you know it was always going to be some sport. I was mad on all sports, played golf, you know, any sport, snooker, everything. We we used to we used to do it all. So I just think it's that you know that bond we had. Subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app and never miss an episode. On the Sporting Couch with Gary Bloom. So everything's going pretty well. No sign of depression, no sign no. of anxiety. And at 20 years old... Oh, so even when I was 18, when I went away with England, I couldn't wait to get home. So the anxiety was there, being away from home, being away from home comforts. Um, that, was, that, was always, that was always there from a young age. From, yeah, well, from when I can remember going away with England for the first time, probably when I was 16. So when you go away with England, you're just desperate to get home. Or home homesick? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Homesick. Yeah. Just miss them. You know them them comforts of, of being at home. You know, people that are homesick will only only know what that means. Know what that feels. Well, yeah, but you know, as a as a as a professional footballer, and even going away with England, yeah, you you're in swish hotels. The yeah. food is there. The yeah. training facilities are there. Oh, I know. Yeah. You're hardly staying in a in a, a back street cafe. Yeah, it sounds bad. It sounds, uh, you know ungrateful but yeah it was just um i just wasn't comfortable in in that environment was it the social aspect you were uncomfortable with mixing with other people possibly yeah, yeah. more than actually needing a cup of tea or a, or a jaffa cake yeah possibly i think it had a bit that had a bit to do with it but more more being more being away from home even now I still, i've still got that you know anxiety when i go away i can't wait to get back um but yeah possibly the social side of it as well tough question coming up yeah Imagine being in an England camp as a 16-year-old. Mm. Who is the person that you would have liked to have visited you from the UK in that camp that might have made you feel better? Probably mum and dad. Probably couldn't separate them. Yeah, probably mum and dad together. So you want mum and dad there. Yeah. yeah. And what do you want from mum and dad? Imagine them coming to the tournaments. What would you want from them? It's just, I suppose it's just knowing that you know they were close by 
instead of in a different country or a different whatever, knowing that we're you know that comfort and knowing that they're all there if if I needed them for whatever reason. But you've got enough people around you, Chris. Yeah. You've got coaches and managers yeah. and training staff yeah. to give you anything you want. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but you always want something you can't have, don't you? At certain points. You've gone into therapy. You've mm. presumably looked at this stuff. Yeah. Why do you think you wanted your mum and dad there? I suppose it had something to do with the fact that maybe what's gone on with, with dad with his cancer and stuff like that. Um, you know, probably scared. Yeah, scared that I wouldn't be there when I got back or, or something like that. So the fear was that one of them, possibly, yeah, I mean, might it, have fallen ill. I mean, I've, I've not really ever thought, but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that makes sense. Um, obviously, it was a, you know, it was a traumatic time, but I didn't know the full extent until after. And I think knowing, you know, when I was older, knowing what went on, it probably, yeah, it probably made me realise even more. Let's drill down a bit on that, if we yeah. may. So at twelve years old, your dad gets very ill, almost dies from cancer. How long before you realise how how ill he was? Oh. It was, Five, six years after. So you by which time you're eighteen, nineteen, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And even then didn't really fully grasp it until probably 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 mid twenties before we knew. How just how I think my mum I can't remember when my mum told me that he had he only had twenty four hours to live, but it was certainly five or six years after. You see, if that had been me, mm. I'd have been cross with my parents. That Would they you? Didn't, yeah, they they wouldn't have told me. Mm. They kept it from me. I can understand why they mm. kept it from you. But once your dad had recovered, I wonder why when your dad was back in good health again, they didn't say, look, we need to tell you something about mm. what happened. But they kept it from you. Maybe maybe because he was in remission for a, while, a good few years. You know, he was still having chemo for years and years after. So, you know, maybe they didn't want to, you know, as I got older and, and say, wiser and, and probably understood, you know, just exactly what cancer was, probably didn't want to, you know, scare the living daylights out of me again. Let's go back to your 20 years old now. Mm. And you have a, an offer to join Liverpool for yeah. what was then a huge fee, £8 million. Mm. Um, tipped to be one of the best goalkeepers this country had had ever produced. Mm. What were your thoughts when you knew your home, your the, your favourite football club were in for you? I, I, I crapped myself. I was in. I did, honestly. I was in uh, fine health. I knew the move was, was possible a few months before because I, I was getting calls off uh, Gary McAllister, who, who was at Coventry. And then he was at Liverpool, and obviously his wife wasn't very well, so he come back to train with Coventry and see me train. He's gone back up to Gerard and said, "Look, I think you should sign this lad." So Gary was ringing me a couple of months before, saying, "Look, Gerard's really keen on you. They're going to make a bid in the next window. Just keep doing what you're doing." Uh, so I sort of knew it was coming around, but you always think, "Oh well, that, that's not going to happen." Uh, but then when it did, as I said, I was in a foreign house meeting, and I just froze, and I just Gordon Strachan remember saying, "What you know? What do you want to do?" And I said, oh, "I don't know. I'm panicking." So he, he got Oggy in. Who was there? Steve Grisovich. Yeah. yeah, he got Oggy in, and Steve just said, "Look, just don't make any decision now. Go up there, have a look. You know, have a look around the place. You don't have to sign if you don't want to." But he says, "Once you go up there, he says you you won't you know we won't see you back here sort of thing." He knew what was going. Yeah, he knew because he'd, he'd been there himself, hadn't he? So, um, so that's what we did. Got um, left, got home, packed my stuff, and went up to went up to Liverpool. Interesting question coming up. Mm. Did mum and dad go with you? Dad come up with me, uh, uncle come up with me, and the goalie coach, Jim Blythe, come up with me. Mm -hmm. And Leona, yeah, my wife. So well, wife, wife yeah. I'm going to take you down quite a difficult path here, yeah. and you and I have talk already talked about this, but the, the move, the dream move to yeah. Liverpool for Chris Kirkland produces a fracture in the family. What are your thoughts about that looking back now? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's it, obviously it's difficult to to talk about because I'm not I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to, you know, 
abused my mum and dad or anything like that because it's never been about that. Um, Your mum wasn't happy. Let's no, it. well, no, I think it, it, I mean, it wasn't until, yeah, I mean, but at the time I didn't, I didn't realise that at the time, obviously. I wouldn't say she wasn't happy. It was, I think it's the thought of a son moving away, doing everything for, you know, we, we, we live very close. My sister's sister lived down the road and 200 yards away. I was a couple of miles away. My other sister lived 500 yards away. So looking back now, that's obviously, you know, it obviously hit her hard. Uh, and it just became, yeah, it just became not what it should be uh, for whatever reason. Uh, obviously, moving up there, moved away from home, uh, which was tough. Uh, but I had Leona with me, obviously. I think it would have been a lot tougher if I was on my own, moving to Liverpool, big city like Liverpool. Uh, but I had Leona with me. Uh, but, yeah, you, you know, it's difficult because a lot of people look back and, and say, oh, he, he's forgot about us now and he's moved to Liverpool, you know, he's not going to come home. I, try, I got home quite a lot. Whenever we could, you know, you used to still go down to the local cricket and then things progress even more in your career and more stuff come up and you, you're busy with your time and you can't get down as often. Um, and I suppose, but they come up a lot. They come up to all the games at Liverpool. Um, you know, they come and stay at weekends and, and stuff like that. So I, I, didn't, I didn't, I knew there was like, it was uneasy, but I didn't realise just, you know, how, how damaging it was going to be. So mum felt a bit abandoned by you? I would have thought so, yeah. So, I mean, my dad obviously missed me. My dad did everything growing up as well, so it was tough on my dad as well. It was tough on me. So it was it's difficult tough. for your dad to create this warm relationship or continue the warm relationship <laughs> he's had with you because no. things are a bit a bit tricky with mum. Yeah, I think he was in a difficult situation, yeah. Mm. Um, but obviously, me, me, he was the only male left in the family as well, so he's obviously he found it hard. Uh, we used to, so we used to do everything together. Um, but, yeah, it was, it's, you know, the family is a difficult thing. Do you think that difficulty in the family affected your career at Liverpool? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, say so the injuries affected the career at Liverpool. Um, but if you got injured, Chris, if you got injured at Coventry, yeah, you could go back to mum and dad. Everything's nice yeah. and warm. Everything's nice and cushy. Yeah, but that as time that now is not as secure as it was. No, then. but you, you're growing up, aren't you? Then as well. So when 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 I was younger at Coventry, you're younger that. Obviously, growing up, I, I had I was in a, a serious relationship with Leona, and you know you, you have to you have to move with the times. So Liverpool as a club were brilliant with me. Gerard Hulley was superb when I had injuries. Um, so I, yeah, it didn't it didn't dawn on me that much then. When did it dawn on you that there was something significantly wrong and you were struggling? I, I wouldn't say it was at the start. It wasn't significantly wrong. It was it, it was built up, and then I think over time when things got said, oh, why are you being like that for? And then it escalates and. I think then it becomes more of a problem. Uh, I think if we'd have contained it at the start and and said, look, this is what it is, this is how it is, uh, then I think it could have been a lot of what's gone on could have been avoided, yeah. I'll ask a question I asked earlier on. Yeah. Um, if you could go back, as the age you are now, to when you realised things were unravelling a bit with mum and dad, what would you have said to the Chris Kirkland then? Again, I'd, t- I'd talked it out. Instead of... You'd have gone home and just said, mum and dad, I need to talk to you. Well, yeah. Definitely, yeah. This is, you know, this is not good for anyone. You know, let's try and sort things out. And uh, yeah, I've definitely done that. Yeah. Could you do that today? Yeah. Would yeah. you do that today? Yeah, probably will do. Yeah, because it's not now. I'm in a much better place now. It's yeah, it's definitely something. I'm, uh, you know, hopefully by the time this this interview comes out, things will be things will be sorted. It's a very brave thing to do. Mm. To tackle your mum and dad. Mm. Well, and I've been there myself. Yeah, yeah. On things that aren't quite right inside your relationship with them. Yeah. 
And I think one of the issues is I've, I've come across this as a therapist a lot is that mum and dads still see you as a little boy. Yeah, I do, yeah. And they can't let go no. of I think that I'm, concept. Yeah, I think I'm seeing things more now, obviously, because I've got a daughter and it makes you think, I'd hate that to happen when she's old and stuff. And, and, and um, I definitely, yeah, I mean, I, you know, because they're missing out on a grandchild and even though they've got five grandkids down there, it's uh, Lucy's missing out on seeing her cousins. And it's, uh, yeah, so... It will be uh, it will be fixed. Mm. That's a very brave thing to do, mm. if you don't mind me saying. So no, that is that, that's not an easy yeah. and that's not an easy gig. No, no. We'll see how it goes. I'm not saying it's going to get, but I'll uh, I'll certainly try. Yeah. So frustration at Liverpool, mm. uh, culminating in missing the Champions League final. Yeah, and that's there's a bit of bitterness about that, isn't there? There's bitterness about it because um, somebody took my medal. I don't know who's met, who took it. Uh, apparently it was one of Rafa's staff. Um, but that's not the biggest thing for me um, because when you don't play in a final, you don't, it doesn't matter if you play in the, every game, the semi-final, the second leg of the semi-final. If you miss the final, you don't really feel, any football, so you don't really feel like you deserve a medal. And it sounds absurd, but, you know, one game, that 90 minutes, uh, if you don't play in that game, then you, you don't really feel feel part of it. But it's when we come back, we there was two planes that come back and obviously the parade was going to happen. And we got delayed for some reason on our plane, and the bus left before Sir Rafa made the decision that you know the bus or whoever, whatever. So anyway, we missed we missed the parade, which was which was harsh. And uh, yeah, we got home, seen it on TV, and you know obviously thinking, oh, it'd be great to be there because you know being with all them Liverpool fans, it was it was incredible. Um, but yeah, there was bitterness there. And then obviously Rafa said that I could go. He didn't want to, he didn't want well he said he didn't want an English goalkeeper. Um, Why do you think he didn't want an English goalkeeper? I don't know. Um, some, I, I don't know. Probably had more faith. Obviously, he bought Pepe Reina, which wasn't a bad decision. So I can't, can't fault that, can we? Um, so I knew I had to leave. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On the Sporting Couch with Gary Bloom. At the time of the Champions League final and that yeah. incredible game, yeah. were you the best? I know you were injured at the time, yeah. but were you the best goalkeeper at the club? No. I think Jersey Dudek was... Yeah, was yeah. because I, I, I've said many times, I had... When, I, when I've trained with English goalkeepers, coaches, I've felt I'm my best. When Rafa come in, um, he brought a foreign goalkeeper coaching in my game, just it, because I wasn't getting the work I'd been brought up on with Stegen Grizovic uh, and, and Jim Blythe and... When I was at West Brom and when I was at Liverpool with Joe Corrigan to start with, mm-hmm. I always felt my best when I did that. Um, and, and when that happened, I, st- I started feeling my game going. I wasn't sharp. I was going into games thinking, I've hardly trained here because I didn't. I'd hardly, hardly done anything. Uh, I asked for more. Rafa says, you don't need more. This is, this is the best for you. This is trained this way. And so I knew that I had to leave Liverpool, which was, which was heartbreaking. But I knew I had to for my career. Right decision? Oh, yeah, it was. But I knew that I had to go somewhere with an English goalie coach um, to get my game back. And luckily, I uh, got a call off Wigan, who who had um, Gary Walsh was there. So as soon as I went there again, it just clicked, clicked again. And that's probably the most successful period I've had in my career, when 2006 to 2009, 10, with, uh, with Wigan. Uh, Gary uh, Walsh was there, then Nigel Spink come in when... When Steve Bruce come in as well, but again English goalie coach. Uh, but then things turned sour when Roberto come in and bought a, a foreign goalkeeper coaching. Lovely chap, nothing bad to say him against me at all. But it just wasn't. It wasn't for me. The training was different. My game started to to go big time and and ended up out of the team. When you say the your game went to go big time, was was there a, the first signs then of the of anxiety and depression really beginning to eat away at you, Chris? Not. Um... No, it was more frustration, I think, then, because I knew what was going to happen before it happened the second time at Wigan, after what I went through with Liverpool. Let's talk about your England career and mm. frustration there, and mm. certainly the the problems you have being away from home yeah. begin to surface in, in Fabio Capello's squad. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 this, the time that this happened was I actually had a back injury, so I went down there, didn't want to be, be there, uh, it, was, it was after the season. There was it was no qualifiers. It was a training camp, uh, two friendlies, uh, but it was the end of the season. I just thought, oh, I, you know, so whether that made my me tense and my back spasmed up. Um, but he tried to keep me there. He said, oh, you know, you, the physio was saying, look, he needs to go home. And Fabio Cabello went, no, he's got to stay here. He can stay here and stay in his bed and stuff like that. So you know, I got out of bed and just said, listen, I'm going home, and and, and went home. And then I was never I was never involved with Fabio Capello again, which I expected. Regret? Um, no, no, because I think he was getting advice off the physio to say, look, he, sh- he should go home here, he needs to go home anyway. Um, you could see I, was, I could hardly move at all. and you know, uh, But yeah, I pushed it more probably because I was anxious and not being at home. And then obviously when you've got a problem and when I couldn't even train, then I was desperate to get home then. So you know, I'd have, I'd have drove myself back or whatever if I could have done. So when things start going... A little bit difficult for you, Chris. Yeah. The first instinct is to get home. Yeah. Yeah. Get back to yeah comfort. 
and yeah, that just knowing that you know I can get in and, and not relax, but I feel more relaxed. And when you're actually returning to home, is it? Are you aware of the feelings of being more relaxed as you head yeah. down the motorway, yeah. and you're arriving in back home in the northwest, yeah. or? Or do you have to be through your front door? No, no, no. Just you know, the thought of knowing I'm going, I'll be home in. Well, it takes me an hour or t- ten hours in the car, or whatever. Yeah. So it's the fact that the point of you say I'm going home now. Yeah. Everything then changes for you psychologically. Yeah. Back then, yeah. Yeah. It's an extraordinary story, isn't mm. it? Well, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's not. Why been do eaten. Why do you laugh there, Chris? Why do you laugh? Because well, you have to laugh, don't you? There's no point in There's no point in crying anymore, is there? I've done done enough of that, and but I can I can look back on it now, as I said, because I'm in a much better place now. And yeah, it's it's what's gone on is yeah, it's it's uh, certainly not the stuffing out of us. What made you cry? Scared, yeah, embarrassed, uh, not knowing not knowing what was happening, uh, worried about what, where it was going, you know, and the point it was getting to. Uh, Did you fear for your own safety? Yeah, yeah. So we talk, we we call it suicide ideation. Yeah, you, yeah. The, the thoughts about committing suicide? Yeah, you thought, well, it's hard not to because, you, as I said, you read about it, obviously what happened to Gary Speed, God rest his soul, you know, when when that happened and you think about things like that. Uh, but as soon as you think about that, then that's when I think about my daughter and my wife and, and know that I would never, never would do anything like that. Tough question coming up. Mm. I'm going to own it. Mm. If you had have committed suicide, did mm. you know how you'd do it? No. No. No, I never... Never thought definitely what I'd do, no. And can you explain to people who have never had thoughts of suicide why depression then moves to thoughts of suicide? You're just in that bad of a place. You just, you just as I said, I, I said that I couldn't wait to get sleep at night, but I didn't want to wake up in the morning because when, you, when you're asleep, you're, not, you know, you're, you're at peace, I suppose, until you wake up in the morning again. Um, so I suppose it gets to that point when it's bad enough, which it did. Um, which I knew I needed to do something, and I did do something about it eventually. When was the Daleks' worst, Chris? Uh, when I was it, when I signed uh, for Berry, I signed for Berry in two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen. But they we, must have known there was an issue. No, you didn't tell them. No, no, didn't tell them. Yeah. So I went to we went to Portugal pre-season. Um, obviously, didn't want to go out there. Um, got out there, and on the, I think it was the third night, I was. I was, uh, we, we stayed in like these door, uh, like these villas and I was on the top floor and I just, just, just broke down and, and rang the owner and said, look, I, I can't do this anymore. I need to get help and I need to get home. I was on a rooftop. Um, obviously, you know, thinking, you know, you look, you, you think about it, but then you, you don't think it. It sounds weird that the only people. Let's be clear. You're thinking of throwing yourself off. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then I rang the owner, um, and she calmed me down and says, right, we'll get you back tomorrow. So I flew back the next day, um, told uh, Barry that I, Leona, Leona did have a hospital appointment the next day, but I didn't need to be there for it wasn't anything serious. But yeah. we, we used that as an excuse to get me back. And then uh, Dave got back, um, Dave Flitcroft, and Barry got back and I went to see him and said, look, I'm in, I'm, I'm in a bad way here. You know, I'm struggling. Uh, I, need, I need some time. And he gave me two weeks. He, he was brilliant. Dave Flitcroft, because he, he, he went through something similar. Um, when his dad committed suicide, mm. um, so he was he was superb with me. Gave me all the time, gave me two weeks. Uh, I thought, right, you know, we'll try and do something about this. And then I went back because I've always had that fight in me, thinking, right, you can't give up, you've got to go back. So I went back to training, and after two days, I was in a training game in, in at the training ground in Manchester, and I just walked off and I just said, look, I, I can't do this anymore. I need you to rip my contract up. 
And Dave was brilliant with me. He said, look, if this is what you need to do, then we'll do that for you. And any, anything you need now uh, going forward, we'll be there for you. And that's when I rang the PFA, met Simon Barker uh, at the Worsley Marriott in Manchester. And that's where things things started progressing. And as soon as I did that, as soon as I made that call, it was a huge weight off my shoulders. It was just as soon as I made it, literally as soon as I made that call and got off, got off the phone, it was... What did Simon say to you? He says, right, we'll meet up. Uh, so we met up at Worsley and he, he asked me about what I was going through. Um, he said, right, we've got thing. you know, you need to meet Mickey Bennett, Michael Bennett, who's the player welfare now. So then I went to meet him a few times um, in, Man- in the PFA offices in Manchester. We had a good chat and just like this, you know, got everything off our, off, our, off, off my shoulders. Um, and obviously Mickey was doing this for all, all, all the players. So he said, look, you need somebody that's local that you can go and see. So he set me up with a couple of councillors in Liverpool. Didn't really feel the connection with them. Uh, what then, were you thinking counselling or therapy would be like, Chris? Had you any idea? Just talk, sitting here talking on a couch, lying back on a le- you know, leather couch. Just what you think it is. By the way, right? we're not on a leather couch yeah, today. No, no, I wish it was, these chairs. But, um, we're in a studio in Wigan. But then I met a, girl, I met a lady, Lorraine, in, in Manchester. And as soon as I met her, the first five seconds, I knew I was going to like her. I'm not surprised it was a woman. You yeah, know. no, nor am I. No, no. Well, why do you think I would say that? Because my wife, she'd come to a couple of sessions and she, everything she was telling me at home, then I was hearing off, off Lorraine as well. And, and Lorraine said that. She said, see, women always know best. <laughs> um, I wasn't thinking yeah, that. Yeah, so Lorraine, go on, you say why? Well, you have this tricky relationship with mum. Yeah. And I personally think that most people seek out a therapist to repair the most difficult relationship in their life. Mm. And I think that because that difficult relationship historically has been with mum since you went to Liverpool, mm. it's not a surprise that you go to a female therapist to try and work out some of these very deep-lying problems. Yeah, that's fair enough, yeah. I said I, uh, the two chaps I tried didn't, didn't get, did not get on, just didn't have that connection, didn't feel comfortable. And then Lorraine was brilliant and, and went to see her a load of times. And, uh, yeah, she, she, you know, say fixed me, but she put me on the right path. So in theory, you're in therapy. Yeah. Can I ask were there med, uh, meds involved, medication involved? Yes, I was well? on um, antidepressants to start with, yeah. So in theory, with, with antidepressants and with mm. therapy, you're all fixed, should be going back mm-hmm. and play football again. Yeah, well, I uh, it's been, as I said, it's been, uh, this was in, what was it, 2016. Uh, so obviously, I, you know, it took a while to, to get through it all and then you're out of the game and then, you know, I wanted to spend some time with the family uh, because of the last five years, I'd, I'd not been there for them. You know, I was there, but I wasn't there. So um, I wanted to spend time with Leona and Lucy and do stuff with them. And and now I'm, uh, as I said, it's been two years and two years this summer. And yeah, I'm I'm not too sure what to do now. I'm tempted to get back into it. I have no idea, sitting mm. here listening to this story, why somebody who's gone through the mill like you, Chris, would ever want to go back onto a professional football pitch again. Mm. It's like putting your head. In the in the block, why would you do that? Because it's all I know. It's uh, it's all I've, as I said. But you know, I, I, well, when you say that, I'm going to jump in. Excuse me, interrupting yeah. you. It's all I know. Yeah. And when you say that, what occurs to me is the difficulty you have breaking away from the the family, breaking yeah. away from home, and how much anxiety that produces yeah. by wanting to be back home. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll. I'll Saying I want to play again, it'll only be in the northwest. It'll only be a team, which obviously limits it. I mean, there might not be anyone that wants me. I'm 37. I've got to be realistic. Um, but yeah, it'll only be in the northwest, somewhere close to home. 
And of course, I'm you know wearing my sports broadcasters mm. hat. You know, you're gonna have to go to Plymouths and Exeter's, or maybe in something like yeah. that. Yeah, those are long journeys from the northwest. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, so how are you gonna play? In those well, as games? I said, now in a, in, a, in a much better place. I'm ho- you know, I'm I'm sure that I'll, I'm better equipped to deal with that now, knowing what I've been through and and knowing the coping mechanisms now that that um, Lorraine's taught us and that I've put into place and. As I said, you know, I've been tested over the last few months, but managed to managed to come through it. I know that you want to stay in the game, and you're running a Chris Kirkland goalkeeping yeah. school and academy. Yeah. So what happens if somebody like Tottenham Hotspur or Brighton or Southampton rang up and said, "We've got a job for you as a goalkeeping coach here"? What would you say? Um, no, you know, respectfully, but uh, we wouldn't. As I said, my daughter, I wouldn't leave because I, I, you know, I want to see my daughter grow up. Um, I'm in a fortunate enough position to, to be able to make that decision. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't move my daughter out of school. If she, if, if they, if she said, yeah, I fancy I want to move down or whatever, then it'd either be all of us or, or none of us. Because what would happen you living away from home? What would, well, happen, just, what would happen to you? I just don't think it's healthy. I just don't think it's, in many ways, on your, on your, on your, as I said, and I'm not being disrespectful for anyone that, that does this and away from home because, you know, People choose to do that, but I just, I just wouldn't want to not see my wife or see my daughter, and more importantly, my dog. I wouldn't want to miss my dog. Um, but yeah, I just wouldn't want to put myself in that situation. On the sporting couch with Gary Bloom. Let's go back to your time at Sheffield Wednesday mm. and the anxiety you suffered there. What was that period of your life like? like? That was tough. Yeah, that was. Uh, Is that the worst? Yeah. Yeah, uh, after about, yeah, I mean, I, I never wanted to leave Wigan. I love Wigan. You know, I got told I'd be there as long as I wanted to, and then all of a sudden I was out. Um, but I, again, I knew that I had to because my career had dipped. I needed to get back to an English goalie coach, and Sheffield Wednesday was a brilliant club. And to be honest, probably the only option I had at the time. Um, there wasn't too many others. So I went there, wonderful club, wonderful people. Andy Rhodes, who I've said many times, if the goalie coach there, if it wasn't for him, I'd have walked long before, but he'd come up with a routine where I wasn't every day. You know, they let me drive to games so I could drive back after games. Um, more for my back as well than anything, because I had a back injury um, in my early part of my career. But they didn't know anything anything about this until I didn't renew my contract in 2000. So I was there for three years, and then I was going to sign again for a fourth year. I was there for pre-season. This was 2015. And and then I just walked up to the office and said, "Look, I can't sign. I need to. I need to be nearer to home." And that's the first time they knew something was wrong. Do you think you could have been more honest with some of the clubs that you've you've signed for? Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. Barry, uh, Barry, I was in the end, yeah. Up oh, before I signed, you mean? Uh, possibly, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's more. Then it's more. I, I hope I can I can sort it out myself and I can I can get through it and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Sheffield Wednesday, I should have I should have let on a lot earlier. I'm fascinated by sports people who I work with who suffer mm. from anxiety and depression. Yeah. And one thing that they always say to me, whatever their sport is, they say during the 90 minutes, a rugby match, golf, tennis, whatever, they're absolutely fine. Mm. They walk off the sporting arena and it hits them. Yeah. Is that your story? Yeah. Yeah. For the first, for the, for the first year, definitely, because I played 46 games, played every game, uh, got player of the year. Yeah, for that. For that uh, ninety minutes, completely forgot. Uh, second year, most of the second year, towards the end of the season, it was it was more on my mind because it was more prominent. And then the third season, I was actually glad that I wasn't starting. They bought Kieran Westwood in, who was going to be number one, and I was going to be back up. And I was actually glad about that, which is which is wrong. 
So how do you play? You talk about you no idea, no idea. With anxiety, you know, there's the the wing is about to cross the ball in, and you're thinking. Do I come? Do I go? Do I stay? Yeah, I suppose it's because you've always you've been in that game situation so many times growing up as a kid and 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 through your career, and you get into that certain mindset, and it's the only thing you you can do it for because it's something you've always always done. And I suppose you go on autopilot. That's the only way I can I can describe it. You go on autopilot for for the, for that for that game. But yeah, for the first couple of years, apart from the last couple of months of the second season, it was yeah, it wasn't it wasn't an issue during games. And then. On the final whistle, back in the dressing room, what, what happened? Yeah, just, um, again, you know, just couldn't wait to get home, wherever it was, and uh, and then think about when you're back in training next. So, for example, you're playing for Wednesday, final whistle goes, and you have sports broadcasters wanting to interview local radio. Mm. You just want to get into the dressing room, mm-hmm. get changed, get off. Were you quite grumpy, do you think, at that period? No, no, I did it. I always did it, because I always know that come with it, come with a job, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as they were polite and that, and I never had a problem with that. So you were prepared to entertain the demands of being a professional footballer, yeah. but the first thing, you didn't want to go to the players' bar, presumably, or no. anything like that? No. Didn't want to socialise? No, because obviously when I was at, when I was at Wigan, I did, um, but when I was at Sheffield Wednesday, obviously I had to drive back, so you just, you just want to get back sort of thing. One thing that has irritated you throughout your career is the perception, and I, s- I stress the word perception, mm. that you are injury-prone. Mm. Why do you laugh when I when I say that? Well, because I'm sure because you know because you're going to tell me in a minute. Um, but yeah, apart from the last, apart from the first, when I left Liverpool, um, after that I was I was fine. Last ten, nine, ten years of my career, I've got as good a fitness record as, as anybody else. So where does that perception come from? Do you think? Um, probably when I was at Liverpool, the Liverpool days, the frustration with the England, you know, coming pulling out of squads and. You know, being tipped as the next the next thing or whatever, and then having to pull out and stuff like that. So probably back from then days, because at Wigan, yeah, I was I missed a few games, but you know, I played 137 games in four seasons. Um, and the last two seasons, I was not injured. I just wasn't involved um, much. And then went to Sheffield Wednesday, played 90 odd games in two seasons. Third season, I was on the bench for near enough every game, and uh, went to Preston. On the bench for near enough every because I knew I was going there as a number two to Jordan Pickford, and played the last six games. So you know the last ten years of my career, it will stand up against anyone's. So do you think there's a relationship between your psychological state and your physical state? What thinking annoys me because that's what people say. Well, it, a that and b I just wonder if you are fearing injury, you're probably more likely to get injured. Possibly my back. I mean, my, the biggest one when I was growing up was my back. My body grew when I went to to Liverpool my body grew a lot and the physical demands more when you go to a club like that because you're obviously travelling a lot Champions League games etc etc I mean it took, me, it took me a while for my body to catch up but also back then core and all this sort of stuff which is in now wasn't back, wasn't in back then nothing was like that so I had a back operation at Liverpool and didn't really did rehab and stuff like that but nothing specific like you'd get now mm. um and obviously that's what gave me the problems going forward because it wasn't strong enough still, and I was diving myself around being a big lad and stuff, and it was it was giving me problems still. Um, but again, still I didn't really miss that many games of it. Another tough question coming up. I'm mm. like the fast bowler mm. here. Um, you were tipped to be, I think, by David Platt to be the one of the best young goalkeepers he'd ever seen. Mm. I'm almost hesitant to ask the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Were you mentally tough enough nope. to be the number one goalkeeper for England? No. 
definitely not. That's one thing I, I, I wish I had more. I wish I had more, more self belief um, when I was when I was playing uh, and believed in myself more. Yeah. Can you see the same traits in young goalkeepers today when you look round the goalkeepers, either in the Championship or the Premier League, and say he's just not mentally tough enough to be the best he can possibly be? Eh, not really. I can only go from people I've worked with, and I, I work with Jordan Pitford, and he is mentally tough. You know, he, he he just wants to he wants to be the best. He knows he's the best, and uh, I've always said I wish I could have had a bit of that when I was when I was growing up. What's the difference between him now and you then? Suppose nothing back then, you know. I, I was tipped as the next best thing. Uh, but he's you, but you're, you're talking about a difference. You're saying that Pickford has has the mental toughness, and you didn't. Yeah. Tell, explain what the gap is. Well, I, I can't explain it. I don't know what you know. Obviously, it's, it's as simple as he's just got it, and I and I didn't for whatever reason. You know, I'd, I suppose I always doubted myself. Um, whether that had something to do with because I, you know, I, I wasn't a goalkeeper from a young age and I started late and you know I wasn't a started younger than that. I, I, don't, I honestly can't remember. I just know that I should have been more mentally tough. But whether that was because of what was going on and it was you know bubbling up and bubbling up, I, I've got no idea. Let's suppose mm. that everything had been fantastic with mum and dad mm. from your time at Liverpool onwards. Mm. Would that have made a difference? I see. It's always easy in hindsight, isn't it? Um, it's a difficult one because I've always, as I said, as soon as you have your own daughter and your own kids, and they become the priority, and it's as simple as that. So, so what are you going to be like when when she's sixteen and she brings the first, <laughs> yeah, bo- yeah. The first boyfriend? Comes well, that's not going to happen. He's not going to come through the door. <laughs> so yeah, that's not going to happen at all. Well, I'm accusing you, Chris, yeah, of actually to, yeah. to repeating. Listen, are, yeah, well, you are, yeah, and uh, and I do it in joke, Jovan. Yeah. Oh no. Listen, How well, do you is, let go? You you never let go, do you? You never let go, but you well, have to. I think to. you have to. Yeah, you have to. You have to, but uh, you just hope that, as I said, I'm sure we'll uh, hopefully have a great relationship. You know, even when she's she's hopefully married with her own kids and stuff like that. But imagine Lucy turns around to you when she's twenty, twenty-five, or whatever, and so I've met somebody, Dad, and we're going to go live in Australia. Yeah. Well, you've got to let you know. You've got to let them do it, haven't you? I wouldn't want Lucy to to be in the position that I've been in the last, you know, the last few and what's gone on, and as of many families have, have suffered. So you feel you have learned from the painful oh. experiences. You could say to Lucy, yeah. "Sweetheart, best of luck in the world." <laughs> well, you're laughing do at I, me now yeah. because no, I can no, I can no, see a rip yeah. appearing right yeah. through your soul, no, Mister Kirkland. You'd have, you'd have to, yeah. You know, if that's what she wanted to do, then yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd let her do it begrudgingly. Let her do it. I'm interested in the begrudgingly. Yeah, not begrudgingly. I'd, uh, yeah, upsettingly let her do it. Let's bring us up to date and yeah. tell us about some of the excellent work you're doing, Chris. About uh, not only in mental health issues, but also your academy yeah. and you're bringing out an app. Here's here's your chance to stand <laughs> on the soapbox yeah, and well, tell I, us the good things you're doing. Well, it's something some I've always wanted to do. So we, we've got um, where we live. There's an astroturf down there. So I've set up a goalkeeper academy to work with kids from eight. To, I think the oldest one was 27. So we do that on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then uh, obviously I do a lot with Liverpool TV, which is great. They've been the, Liverpool have been superb with me because um, I wanted to keep active. And you know, the worst thing is when you when you're on your own and you have time. That's when you, you can sort of slip back in. So I needed to keep active. Did that. The app I got, in, I got uh, somebody got in touch with me, Jack Knowles, who's an entrepreneur down, and he bought a dating app out that's used in over sixty countries. And he, he got in touch and said, "Look, I've been reading what's been happening with you," and he says, "I'm looking to bring out a mental health app called Yapper, 
which uh, stands for You Are Perfect Always. <laughs> and he says, will you get involved with me with it? I want you to be involved. And I, so I met him come up here to, to Haydock and we, we had a great meeting, a great chat. And uh, we, we hit it off straight away. And I said, look, I'd love to get involved with this. And, and obviously what I was doing at the time, raising more awareness. So that's going to be out in, in around September time. And it's going to go global. It's going out everywhere. Are you always perfect, always? I don't think anyone is always perfect, but I need to be more. Yeah, I need to think I am more. It's not about what whether you are no, or not. No, but it's the best possible person you can be. Yeah, and that's what it's going to be. That's what I'm I'm going to do now from now on, and, that, and that's why I've been through the treatment and probably still need to you know have top ups now and again. Um, but yeah, but you know the, the most important for me now is 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 uh, looking after the family and doing what I've not been able to do the last few years. There's going to be many people listening to this broadcast, Chris, yeah. who are struggling with loneliness, anxiety, depression, addictive behaviours. What would you say to those people? Talk to your friends, talk to your family. There's, you know, Go online, find out the numbers to ring. There's numbers everywhere. Uh, but you know, go to your doctors, uh, your doctor, and just say, look, you know, I need help, and that they should put you in the right direction. But don't bottle it, bottle it up. And talk to as many people as you can, because eventually you'll find out who you need to talk to. And, and as soon as you do that, you, you start helping yourself. Had you talked to the right people when you were 18 years old. And I know there was some dif- different stuff there. Yeah. And you'd continued talking. Would you have fulfilled your potential? Oh, I think I'd have had a better chance, yeah. Definitely. Chris Kirkland, many thanks for joining me on The Sporting Couch. Thank you. You've been listening to On The Sporting Couch, a programme that's trying to give a flavour of what goes on between therapist and client. I hope the show will have encouraged anyone going through a tough time to seek help. And there are some useful links on the TalkSport website. Have a look at talksport.com forward slash sporting dash couch. I'm Gary Bloom and my guest in the studio has been former goalkeeper Chris Kirkland. That's all for now. Please remember... There's no such thing as good health without good mental health. Goodbye. Find more podcasts from TalkSport at talksport.com slash podcasts or by searching for TalkSport in the podcast store. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.